The book of Ephesians has been called the Alps of the New Testament because Paul takes us to the heights of the grandeur and the beauty and the splendor and expanse of God's gifts and God's work in the believer's life and in the church. Because this is the Alps, these are the Alps, if we can grasp here, as I said, four, five, and six are cake because that's the valley. And if we can be connected with the Lord in the heights, then we go down to the valley. We can walk in the valley in his power and grace and goodness and might. All right? So we will go to the mountaintop this morning and we will look upon the expansive beauty and grandeur and blessings that God has given us of who you are and what you have in Christ Jesus. This is not just stories. This is not just nice ideas. This is the word of God, the truth of God for your life and for my life. All right. Now, in preparing for this, I came across a account where William Randolph Hearst, he was a huge newspaper tycoon, multimillionaire, and an avid art lover. He spent a fortune on artwork, masterpieces. And on one particular occasion, Hearst heard about a few very, very choice pieces of art, and he said to himself, I have to have those in my collection. And so he hired an agent to hunt them down and to purchase them on his behalf. So the agent went out on the hunt to find the works of art. And after some time, he came back to Hearst and he said, Mr. Hearst, you can't buy those pieces of art. You already own those pieces of art and they're sitting in your warehouse. You already have this. You just didn't know it. And because you didn't know it, you're not enjoying it. You're not experiencing it. You're wishing for something you already have. And this is the life of so many Christians, if not most Christians. They do not understand what they have in Christ. They do not understand who they are in Christ. They do not understand the grandeur and beauty and splendor of our Savior and our Father, who is the Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are not just people. We are children, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we will see what that looks like. And if we can walk out of this place unchanged, whoa, I don't know how that could happen. We are going to ascend the Alps and gaze upon the heavenlies and who we are in Christ. Let us not be like Hurst, who missed out on what he already owned, okay? 
let us understand and apprehend for ourselves. And as we go through this, I want you to be keenly aware of words. In him, through him, for him, by him. Predestined, chosen, us, we, you, him. Plan. Purpose. These are important words to understand because we're going to look at God's plan for us and why he is doing this, okay? We're going to begin in chapter 1, verse 3. Understand this. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 is the longest sentence, I believe, in Definitely the Bible, and maybe that there is just around, okay? It is one long sentence. It is an English teacher's nightmare. My parents were both English teachers. And if I wrote a run-on sentence, they freaked, okay? You can't do that. Well, Paul does it, all right? And the reason why is because this is called the overture. You know when you go to a musical, or a really long movie, an epic movie, they have the overture where they are playing the themes of the different songs throughout, uh, that's going to be throughout the entire performance. So we get a taste and a glimpse of the bigger picture. This is the overture. And if we grasp the first verses 3 through 14 and look at them within the context of everything that we're going to look at, we're going to have a good understanding of God's plan, okay? So, get your climbing poles out, get your climbing shoes on, and we're going to start to ascend this, this out, these mountains. And you're going to see a view that maybe you've never seen before. You're going to see God the way you may have never seen him before. You may see Christ in a way that you've never seen him before. You will see the Holy Spirit maybe in a way you've never seen him before. And you may very well see yourself in a way that you have never seen yourself before. So, chapter 1, verse 3 of the book of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Okay? The sphere of the blessing is in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Not heavenly places. It's the heavenlies. Within the sphere of Christ, we have been blessed by God with every spiritual blessing that is within the heavenly realms. Every single one. Some we will not take hold of until we get to heaven. Many we take hold of now. Many we can enjoy now, not just in eternity. Okay? So God has blessed you and me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Even as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world, that we 
should be holy and blameless before him. We are going to see this back and forth between things that pertain to the Jews and to the Gentiles and the fusing together of both in Christ. The Jewish mindset was the understanding that they were God's chosen people. They were God's chosen people, God says, not because they were anything special, but because he chose to choose them, because he had a purpose for them that he set out beforehand, okay? It did not mean he did not choose other people to have a relationship with him, but he specifically chose Israel to be the group through whom the promise of Messiah would come. Through the Jews, salvation for the entire world would come. Through the Jews, God would glorify himself on the earth. Through the Jews, he would take a little family and turn them into a nation and take a stubborn nation and still show his faithfulness and goodness and grace and mercy to bring to fruition his plan and purpose for them as a nation as Christ came and salvation was made available through the promise to the world. Okay? So, the sphere of the choosing is in Christ before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Jesus Whoever is in Christ is a new creation, okay? So how do you know if you're chosen? If you're in Jesus, you're a part of the group that's chosen. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before him, okay? The choosing is not the person, it's the purpose, okay? We are chosen to be holy and blameless, the sphere in which the choosing comes is Christ Jesus. It is not because we are smart. It is not because we are holy. It is not because we're better than anybody else. It is not because we are of some incredible character trait or anything. It's because Christ, okay? We are chosen in Christ that we would be holy and blameless before him. It goes on. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. All right, we'll stop there. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. He foreordained. He pre-planned, okay, that we would be adopted in Christ, okay? This is the plan. We're going to see the word plan a lot, purpose a lot. So this is, again, referring to the plan, all right? And people, you know, it's like, am I predestined? Am I not predestined? It's not talking about the person. It's talking about the plan, all right? that we should be adopted as sons and daughters of God. Now, being with me long enough, you know that this is talking about adult sons and adult daughters, right? It's not, we're adopted as little kids. We're adult sons and adult daughters. 
And because we are adopted as such through the blood of Christ, and that was God's plan, we are new people, okay? We have a new heritage, a new family. We have the rights and privileges and inheritance of God the Father in Christ Jesus. We are joint heirs with Christ Jesus seated in the heavenlies. Okay? That is huge. So the rights, privileges, honors, blessings, inheritance of the family of God, of God our Father, are ours now. But as I was doing some more studying on this, I learned something new. And it really is just like, whoa, I understand this so much better now. In the Roman legal system, if you're adopted as an adult child, okay, into another family, here's the thing. Your old family, your old reputation, your old heritage, your old history, your old crimes, if there were any, your old debts, if there were any, are gone. Legally gone. Because that person does not exist anymore. They are done. Because they are now of this household. They are adopted into the new household, new reputation, new identity, new future, new hope. The old is gone. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and all things have become new. That's the way Roman adoption worked for an adult, okay? So, the old life is gone, legally gone. So when Satan tries to accuse us and throw things back in our face, legally, I don't exist anymore as I once did. There is no debt, there is no crime, there is no heritage, anything. That life is gone. We are new in Christ Jesus and all that comes with it. Okay? Now, this is according to the purpose of his will. For what? To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7. Here we go again. That, that two-word statement there. In him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption, this is the word bought out of slavery and set free, okay? A couple of weeks ago, I think, we talked about there were three words for redemption. Bought out of slavery to become a slave of somebody else. Bought out of slavery never to be sold on the open market again. Or in this case, to be bought out of slavery and given your freedom. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That is what Jesus told us. Okay? So we have been, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, that old person's gone, the debt's canceled out, we've been adopted into a new family. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us 
in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and the things on earth. This was God's great plan. Before the foundations of the earth, before anything existed, before Adam and Eve ever screwed things up, the Lord had a plan. And it was for his glory. And it would be through Christ that this would happen. And we're going to see what effects come from this plan. Okay? So this is what God has done, and he set this thing forth. Now, in verse 11, in him we, this is referring to the Jews, and we'll see how Paul words this, okay? In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All right? So that, so here's the purpose, so that we who were first to hope in Christ, who's the first to hope in Christ? The Jews, all right? The gospel came to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles. That is what Paul talks about a lot. That's what Peter talks about. That's what Jesus said. He came first to the house of Israel, all right? We, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. So God set this thing up, choosing Israel, that through Israel, Messiah would come, and they were the first to receive the salvation of Christ. And it's to the glory of God. Because when I look at Israel, and remember, we studied Israel when we went through the Old Testament. They were stubborn. They were hard-headed. They were difficult. They were complainers. They were just like me. And God was faithful to the people of his choosing despite everything that they had done. Now, did everybody get saved? No. We know that when we were looking in Colossians, not everyone who is of Israel is of Israel. Those who come by faith, as Abraham did, okay? So, your salvation comes through Christ, not because of your heritage, all right? But God planned this. And when you look at what God did through Israel, you go, God, you are so good. And I can look at my life and go, God, you are so good, so gracious, so loving, so kind, so patient, so wonderful. Thank you for not bailing on me. Thank you for not dumping me. Thank you for loving me. And there's such a blessing in that. And it's to his glory. And then in verse 13, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the down payment, the initial installment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Everything that we're going to see here this morning is to the praise of God's glory, to learn about how awesome and gracious and splendid he is, 
All right? And not just us, but the angelic hosts will see and glorify him. All right? So this is just huge. Then in chapter 1, verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is the hope to which we are called? Eternal life. Adoption. Inheritance. A future. A hope. Blessings. Intimacy with the Most High God. That is what we are called to. And there is hope. That's confidence. Okay, that's what that word means. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints? In the Old Testament, Israel was the inheritance of God. They were his people and he was their God. For us, the church is God's inheritance as well. And there is a glory that he will receive in us. And that doesn't just have to happen in eternity. Remember Jesus said, let your light so shine before all men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our very lives, as we live day to day, chapters four through six, okay? As we live day to day, empowered and enabled and strengthened by the Holy Spirit of God who resides within us, God is glorified. As God, people look at God's working in our lives and through our lives and for our lives, they're going, what a great God. That's what it should be like. Okay? Now, and verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The immeasurable greatness of his power to those who believe. If you are a Christian in this room and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, there is an immeasurable great power that God wants to work into your life. The word power is dunamis in Greek. It is a active, altering power. It makes changes. Paul talks about the gospel being the power of God into salvation. It takes somebody who is dead spiritually and unsaved and brings them into the family of God and saves them through faith. It's the power of God toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. The word working, energon, where we get the word energy, working power. It makes things happen. If your toaster oven isn't working, plug the thing in 
and it gets energy and off you go. Your drill, whatever it may be, plug into the power. The energy flows and things begin to happen. Great might, that word is kratos. And it means power that overcomes resistance. Power that overcomes obstacles. Power that overcomes the impossible. What kind of power is that? Oh, well, we've got an example of it right here. Look at this, verse 20. That he worked, Energon, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's power. We've got an obstacle. It's this thing called death. Well, God worked in Christ, raised him from the dead. That is power that overcomes the impossible. And seated him at the right hand of the Father. And set him above all princes and and, uh, principalities. And every name that is named. He is the I am. That is power. Keep that in your mind, because it's going to hit you again, but it's going to be personal this time. All right? So, chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, that's the way you lived, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, Jew and Gentile, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, that's that old person, okay, that's your heritage, that's your lineage, that's your nature right there, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Now see if this sounds familiar to what we just read about the power of God working in Christ, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The power of God working in Christ, raising him from the dead, and seating him in heavenly places, working in us, making us spiritually alive, raising us from spiritual death, and seating us with Christ in the heavenly places. The power's already been working. We just may not know it. But if you're born again, the power of God has already been unleashed in your life. And you have gone from death to life, wrath to peace with God because of Christ Jesus. By his grace, not because of anything we did, 
We can't earn it. Verse 7, so that, here's the purpose again, here's the reason why. In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, when we are with him in eternity, it's going to, we will not even begin to fathom the immeasurable riches of his grace toward us as we spend eternity as sons and daughters of the Most High God. It's who we are now. We have the Holy Spirit as the down payment. And we've got a lot coming. And it's going to blow our minds and we are going to glorify the Lord. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation by grace is the gift of God. We take that gift by faith, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's another purpose word, for. See, we're not just saved. We're saved for a purpose. We're saved for intimacy and relationship with God and working with God and being a part of his plan. All right, so it is the gift of God. We are his workmanship, his poem, his artistic masterpiece. Do you feel like a masterpiece? I do not. I feel like a master mess. And I'm not, I'm, I'm serious. I just look at myself and go, oh my word. But that's okay because the Lord doesn't leave us where we are. The Holy Spirit takes us from glory to glory. And we'll see that in a minute. We let him do what he wants to do to make us who he wants us to be. We yield and let him do his work. And that is so cool. So we are his masterpieces for good works, which God prepared beforehand. This is a synonym a similar word to foreordained or predestined. Okay, what is predestined are the good works that we are to walk in, a life as believers in Christ that we are to live. See, there's that purpose, okay? God saves us to give us a new life, that we live a new life, and that new life blesses us and gives glory to the Father. All right? This is what God has given us. Now, Verses 11 through 22, this speaks of God uniting the Jews and the Gentile, bringing them together into one man, one body in Christ, okay? So there's this underlying theme that's still there dealing with Israel and then the Gentiles also being brought into the promise, okay? And we won't go into this part, but I do want to bring out just in uh, verse 19 what he says about us as Gentiles. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints 
and members of the household of God. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And you are a member of the family of God. And we are brothers and sisters. And we are citizens together in that kingdom. Now, going down to chapter 3. Paul's talking about his ministry of the gospel and his heart. And we start looking at some prayers here. I want us to begin in verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the energon working of his dunamis power. God did this. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. We will never be able to see the full extent of all that we have in Christ. It's unsearchable. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that, now listen, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So that, verse 10, so that. What is one of the things that God is doing with all this? With the church, with salvation, by grace, through faith, redemption, through the blood of Christ. What is he doing? What is he doing with the church? That the manifold wisdom, the multifaceted is what that word manifold means. If you're a guy in here, you're probably thinking of an exhaust manifold, okay? That's not what it's talking about. Manifold is multifaceted. So many facets to God's wisdom being declared to the angelic beings. Angels and demons. Fallen angels. As they look at what God has done, what he has planned before the foundations of the earth, and understand angels did not know what God was doing. All right? They do not know all. John tells us, and Peter tells us, that the angels longed to look into these things when God was giving them to the prophets of the Old Testament. And they wanted to understand, but they didn't. So angels have been watching this thing unfold since the beginning, actually since before time began. 
And the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God is being displayed to the eternal beings. They are watching his wisdom unfold in the body of Christ. And in the end, they're going to go, that, that was just so brilliant, God. And, you know, it's like, I, God wouldn't say it, but, you know, it's like, duh. You know, of course it's brilliant. You know, of course it is. It's wise that people like you and me, lumps of clay, would be adopted into the family of God, joint heirs with Christ Jesus, seated with him in the heavenly places, and having the inheritance of God the Father and the Holy Spirit himself indwelling you? Angels do not have that kind of relationship with God. It's not of works. It's not of heritage. It is of the grace and love of God where he gave his only begotten son on behalf of the world so that whoever would believe in him would not face his wrath, but have eternal life. What is eternal life, Jesus says? That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. All about relationship. And the angels are looking at this going, whoa. You're working through them. You have, you're doing stuff throughout the world. You're doing things, you know, Job is a perfect example. God using Job to teach Satan a few lessons. God's using you. He's using me. He's using us. And I guarantee you this, Satan doesn't want God to fulfill his purposes in you and I. That's why Paul was telling the Galatians, hey, or the Colossians, I'm sorry, you know, hang on to Jesus. Don't let anybody sway you. Don't let anybody rob you. Hold to Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture, not this junk that's coming into the church today. Don't let the enemy derail you, okay? This is incredible. This is according to his purpose, his plan. And I love this. Verse 12, in whom, that is Jesus Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Christ. To me, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, there's a movie, The King and I, or Anna, Anna and the Prince, okay, not The King and I, all right, Yul Brenner and all that, Anna and the Prince, and there's a scene in there where the king of Siam is on his huge throne and everybody else is before him on their face. And something happens at home and his little girl needs to go tell daddy. And so she goes and she runs right into the throne room, dignitaries from all over the world, court assistants and all this stuff on their faces before the king. And she runs up and sits in the lap of her daddy and says, Hey, Dad, we need you. He gets up and he goes home to address the matter. She had boldness and confidence because she was a child of the king. You and I can go before our Father because of what Jesus Christ has done. Not because you're perfect. 
Not because you got your act together. Not because you're the best person on the face of the planet. But because you're God's kid. Adopted by the blood of Christ. What boldness. He says, come. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, in whom every family... And this is going back to that idea of the Jews and Gentiles now. You know, everybody's from him. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. Energon. Give you the power that makes things happen with power dunamis that accomplishes things through his spirit in your inner being, your spiritual man. Paul's praying that God, through the Holy Spirit, would empower you to have the power to do and be what God has for you. Okay? So that, here's another purpose, okay? Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is not talking about salvation. We're already saved. He's talking to save people here. That Christ may dwell. We've talked about this before. The word dwell means to be at home in, comfortable in. You can't, if you've ever lived with somebody in their house, okay, for a time, it's, there's a difference between living in some place and dwelling, okay? When I used to be on the mission field, I lived in people's houses while we were doing ministry in the particular town. It was not my house. I could not do what I wanted to do. I could not eat what I wanted to eat. You know, it's not mine. But if you dwell, it's your home and you're settled there, when somebody says to you, make yourself at home, there's food in the fridge, keys to the car or to the left of the fridge, full tank of gas, hey, use whatever you need, laundry's there, whatever, you can settle and be at rest. Too many Christians have Jesus living in them, but not dwelling in them. the Holy Spirit will help us turn this tent into a tabernacle for the king to where he can be in there and go, home sweet home. I can do what I want to do in this house. It's my house. This is something that Dr. Max Reich said. If we make room for the Holy Spirit... He will make room for the Lord Jesus. This is all relationship. The only reason why I would let somebody be at home and make themselves at home in my house is because I had a very good relationship with them. Well, maybe because God would tell me to and I just need to be loving and gracious. Okay, but you get my point. If I have a good relationship with somebody and I know them well, 
I will be open to let them have access to my home. All right? If we let the Holy Spirit do his work and we spend time with him in the word, in prayer, hanging out with him, letting him work in our lives and through our lives, and just letting him have his way, Christ will be able to be at rest in our hearts and our lives. He'll be settled. It'll be home. This is the prayer. The Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Then, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength, that's that energon, the energy to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know, experientially know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge, surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work, energon, dynamis, within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We hear people throw this around. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. Oh, Lord, help me pay this bill. Oh, God's able to do exceedingly more, you know, abundantly than we can ask or think. Oh, God, help me with this. Look at the context of that verse. That you might know the love of God that is beyond knowledge. That you might be strengthened within the inner man. That Jesus Christ can be at home in your life. Oh, that, how, how do you even begin? Oh, he is able to do exceedingly more than we ask or think. He can handle it. When you go on to chapters 4, 5, and 6, how to walk the Christian walk, how to live the Christian life, how to be a godly husband, how to be a godly wife, how to be a godly child, how to be a godly father, how to be a godly employee, how to be a godly employer, how to put on the full armor of God. That's a lot, God. Yeah, I'm able to do exceedingly more than you can ask or think. I can do it. And I think it's within good reason that God has Paul finish the letter out with the full armor of God. Because there is an enemy who wants to rob us of everything that God has given us. Not will give us. This is what he has given us. It's yours. Don't leave it in the warehouse. Don't miss out on what you already have that was bought for you by the blood of Christ. Make room. Let him have his way. Abandon. 
I'm yours. This is what you want. It's what I want. Do what you got to do, Daddy. And as I've gone through this, it's like, wow. Oh, Father, this is where I want to be. If this is what you have for me, then I want to walk in it. I want to live in it. I want to be strengthened in the inner man to where you're at home in me and you are glorified through me in everything I do. I can't do it, but I can yield to his hand and let the potter turn this lump of clay into the masterpiece he has called me to be. He is so good. You are a child of the King, a son, a daughter of the Most High. Wrap your mind around that. It's who you are, a citizen of heaven.